This is State of Water. This is State of this Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Welcome back, water protectors. We've got another really special interview for you today. Peggy Case comes from a long history of environmental and social justice activism. She's a community organizer, editor, writer, former grade school teacher, a lifelong gardener, a singer, a beekeeper, and a permaculture enthusiast. As president of Michigan Citizens for Water Conservation, she has worked tirelessly to end the privatization of our water by a multinational corporation. For over a decade, Peggy and her organization have been hard at work fighting Nestle Waters North America in the court system. During a time of multiple clean water crises in our state, Nestle has been pumping millions of gallons of clean Michigan water for next to nothing, making millions while giving no support back to the communities or the environments that they depend on. Peggy's interview is not only a sobering look at Nestle's activity over the last decade, more importantly, it's an inspiring testimony of a true water protector who won't back down. Here to share in conversation with Peggy is her old friend, Seth Bernard. Well, great to be with you, Peggy. Yeah, you too. You too. It's been a while. It has. Yeah. yeah. So we've been crossing paths for a lot of years. We have. And so appreciate your work and your leadership and your um, steadfast commitment um, to so many issues. Uh, and in particular today, I'd love to talk about the Nestle privatization issue. Mm-hmm. So Michigan Citizens for Water Conservation has been uh, working in this space for a long time. I'm wondering if you could give our listeners a little background on the organization. Well, the organization formed 21 years ago when Nestle arrived in, in Michigan. They had been kicked out of Wisconsin once they didn't want them, and they found an open door in Michigan. So 
they showed up uh, in Macosta County, uh, got a permit to pump 400 gallons per minute from a private well in Macosta. And they were pumping for a while before people who lived there actually noticed something was wrong with the, the stream called the dead stream. It was starting to turn into mud flats. So they found, figured out what was, what was going on and they formed MCWC at that time, Michigan Citizens for Water Conservation. Started out with about 2,000 people. Terry Swear was the leader at the time. She and her husband, Gary. Uh, Gary just passed away a few weeks ago, unfortunately. Mm. But Terry was the, you know, the leading figure for that. Uh, and uh, they uh, contracted with Jim Olson to do the legal work. And they filed a lawsuit against Nestle to stop the, the pumping. So that's how the organization began. Um, a lot of support from people in the community, of course. It took a million dollars and nine years to resolve that particular. It went through several different courts, uh, uh, various rulings that were in favor of us, some not. Uh, they ended up with a settlement uh, and a ruling by Judge Root that was a precedent-setting ruling that said that 400 gallons per minute in that kind of an ecosystem was not sustainable and it forced Nestle to cut their pumping in half. So they are still under that rule. They still have, they had to reduce it to an, an average of 218 gallons per minute uh, on a yearly basis. They had to not pump during times of drought and you know, there's, there's a whole rigid schedule for what they had to do and they also had to uh, pay for stream monitors. So there are still, there's still a hydrologist that is monitoring what's going on there. So uh, that was resolved in 2009. And all the people who worked so hard on that, you know, are still owed a lot of money. <laughs> mm. But they, they managed to, um, we managed to pay off. I kind of came in, into it in about 2011, I think, was when I started. Uh, I was living downstate and I got involved with some of the demonstrations at, outside of the plant, the Stanwood plant, uh, and had friends like pe some people who were working with this uh, Sweetwater Alliance. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew some of those people and they got me in, in, involved. And before I knew it, I'm on the board of MCWC, Terry Connor rolled me in there and a lot of the people were tired and burned out and you know they'd had a really long hard struggle so yeah um, I joined the board and several of other people from up here in this area you know came with me and we just kind of held on to things for a few years to figure and at that time that was when fracking was just gearing up mm -hmm. so we got involved in the banned fracking campaign because it was clear to us that groundwater was seriously threatened, particularly by what was going on in Kalkaska County. So, mm -hmm. so we worked on that campaign for a couple of years um, and got involved in a local injection well issue that was related because they were injecting the, the waste from fracking mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, in, in, also in Macosta, in, in uh, Fort Township. So uh, we began to do work on injection wells as well because nobody else was talking about them. They, it was mm -hmm. not a subject that was out there in, in other organizations, you know. So, uh, so we've done quite a bit of researching and, you know, tracking on injection wells and are still doing that uh, to this day because 
I mean, I can talk about that whenever you want to, but, but uh, the DEQ under Snyder was trying to get what they call primacy from the EPA, which would meant, have meant that Michigan can make all of its own decisions about those injection wells. And we were saying, no, no, needs to stay with the EPA. We don't want the mm -hmm. clowns from the DEQ to be in charge of this stuff. They, they never see a permit that they don't like. Mm -hmm. you know? So whereas the EPA, you can force a public hearing and get the public involved. Mm -hmm. So we're still uh, working on that. They're still uh, debating it. And I just heard today that uh, the EPA has said they're going to withdraw the state's application for primacy, tempor at least temporarily, while, mm. they, while they review it, because there was enough negative comment. And that's a really difficult issue for people to get their hands on, you know? Yeah. It, it, the uh, technicalities of it just can kind of put you to sleep if you're not careful. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. but, but it's really crucial to, to know about it. And so what happens when there's a, a request for a permit in a, in a location, uh, one of our people who happens to be a land surveyor and really knows what he's talking about, he'll go out and investigate the site and, mm -hmm. and he'll notice what's going on and, uh, and publicize it to the community. If they want to do something about it, then they need to you know, force a public hearing, which mm -hmm. sometimes happens. And occasionally, permit withdrawal occurs. Mm -hmm. And occasionally, it just gets ignored and they grant the permit. So, you know, we don't necessarily always have resources to do something about all of these, but at least we're calling attention to them. So mm -hmm. we got involved mm -hmm. in that for a while. And then Nestle decided to increase the pumping at this well that they started. Uh, they started pumping in 2011 at this uh, spring water well in Everett, mm -hmm. uh, PW101. And uh, they had been pumping, they had originally been pumping at 150 gallons per minute. They got an extension to 250 gallons per minute with no public comment whatsoever. Hmm. And then they asked for a permit for 400. And that was in 2016. And at that time, uh, nobody, nobody saw the public notice about that permit. You know, we, we just weren't paying attention. And if, if Gar Garrett Ellison from MLive had not called us, hmm. <laughs> with, there was four days left on the comment period for that. And he alerted us to it. We, had, we knew nothing about it. Wow. So in those four days, with Flo and, and MCWC and several other organizations, we just mounted a campaign, got a lot of comment, and they were forced to hold a hearing. Mm -hmm. so, and they also were forced to extend the comment period and the hearing process months and months. And finally had a big public hearing in Big Rapids. 600 people showed up. Um, we thought, you know, we wanted hearings all over the state because we thought this is a statewide issue. This is mm -hmm. a privatization of water that's going on. Nestle's taking water for nothing. Uh, and mm -hmm. this was right at the height of the Flint water crisis. Right. A lot of so folks from Flint came to the hearing. We brought them. Mm. <laughs> we, awesome. You know, we paid for the buses to bring Detroit and Flint people to the hearing. So uh, we thought it was important that they have a say in that because mm -hmm. they were busy trying to deal with no water at yeah. all. This was right in the middle of the shutoffs in Detroit and the Flint crisis. So, uh, so we connected the dots on those issues as much as possible in a very public kind of way. Uh, people showed up, they testified at this hearing, there were 80,000 comments, almost all of them opposed to Nestle getting the permit. 
and the DEQ granted the permit anyway. So we had to file a contested case. So we could have, you know, rather than go to a lawsuit, which is, as we had already discovered, extremely expensive, we filed a contested case first, where the, the department itself has to make a decision. It's a court, administrative law court within the department. Um, so we went to, through that whole process for a couple of years. Uh, the judge ruled uh, against us and, and recommended that the director of Eagle, now Eagle, had become Eagle, mm -hmm. that the director of Eagle be, um, you know, make the decision to favor the permit, to grant the permit. Now she had a choice. Lisa Clark had the choice to, to say, you know, yes or no legally. Um, she chose to just kick it down the road and dismiss our whole case on a jurisdictional issue which had already been decided. Mm -hmm. Two years before it had been decided that yes in fact the department had jurisdiction over this. She claimed well no they really didn't and kicked it down the road. Told us we needed to go to circuit court. Which was really an outrageous piece of work and everybody is outraged at, about it, um, so we are now in circuit court. We haven't, they haven't held a hearing yet, we've filed all the paperwork. So we're being forced to pay buckets of money, uh, you know, the citizens are being afforded to pay buckets of money to do the work of the state. I mean, the state agency should be doing all this work to protect the water. They should be, uh, they should have been doing all kinds of environmental reviews which have never happened. That's mm. the other piece. The other piece is that we have been running around in the woods for a number of years, taking pictures, documenting mm -hmm. the damage that's being done by Nestle, just pumping at 150 or 250 gallons per minute. Two streams, Twin Creek and Chippewa Creek, have been badly damaged. We have pictures. We, have, we, sh we, we can show people the dried up uh, headwaters mm. of Twin Creek. We can show them the mud flats on Chippewa Creek. Uh, we can show them the two ponds that don't, no longer exist that own, are owned by the township supervisor. So we're on the ground, you know, documenting all this stuff. We cannot get anyone from Eagle to go there and tell the truth. Mm. They, they went once and they didn't see anything that bothered them at all and went back and reported, oh, everything's hunky-dory. Now these are the same clowns that wrote the permit in the first place. Mm. And they're defending their own territory and their own history. These are the old guys from left over from Snyder and previous administration. Uh, Clark does not seem to have been able to get around that. She's not able to come up with a, a staff that actually reflects what they claim is their new position on things. Mm -hmm. um, Dana Nessel, we, we filed a complaint with her, an environmental complaint. Mm. She says she has no statu statutory way to uh, go after it. You mm. know, she can't find a way to go after Nestle as much as she would like to. Mm -hmm. We disagree with her on that. We think, mm -hmm. yes, of course she can. Mm -hmm. um, Public trust law? Uh, yes, there's all kinds of things, you mm -hmm. know, and, and so uh, we have yet to convince her that she does have some legal routes. She just says we have to change the laws mm -hmm. and we have to change the legislature. Well, you know, that's not going to happen in the next year or so and our organization can't get involved in electoral politics anyway. We're a 501c3. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, so we have not been able to get her to investigate, which is what we've asked for. And mm. please investigate what's actually going on on the ground and the damage that's being done by Nestle. Uh, we also filed a complaint with the environmental justice advocate, um, Regina Strong. Mm. No response at all. It, gets, mm. it keeps getting turned over to the same two guys that have been there forever. Mm. They get, you know, it all just gets passed into them and then they, they say the same things that they've been saying for 20 years. You know, these, these are the same people that were advocating for Nestle from the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, so right. we're getting nowhere with that. Um, so that's where we are on the Nestle piece. I'm going down there next week to take some more up-to-date pictures. So nobody can say, well, those pictures are from three years ago. No, they'll be from next week. Thank you for everything you're I doing. Mean, I, I was already down there last week and took pictures. So people ask me, you know, how is this possible? How can Nestle just set up shop and steal the water? It's not theirs to steal. And I know that the, the Great Lakes Compact has a loophole in it where mm -hmm. bottling can happen. And, and that was very disappointing because all of these leaders of states and provinces came together to protect the Great Lakes from privatization right. and the threat at that time was large-scale pri privatization like a pipeline to the southwest mm -hmm. or China coming in right. with barges but the provision to be able to privatize extract water and put them in small vessels is in the Great Lakes Compact. 5.7 gallons or less. Yeah. yeah. But there's also loopholes in our existing state laws, too. And they, they changed the state laws in 2008 in order to be compatible with the compact. So, okay. so those things got, you know, and the, so the Safe Drinking Water Act and, and, and all that stuff got altered, you know, to be compatible. But several loopholes were put in there. And it, it does allow for the bottled water industry to function. They're allowed to bottle water. Um, they pay $200 a year for a, uh, the permit, for the paperwork, for the permit. That's it. And they can get, you know, 21 million gallons of water for that or more, uh, you know, from each, each well. I mean, it's just an astounding amount of water that they get for nothing. It really is. Um, but that's legal right now. Right that's now. That's legal. And so the, the argument that I've heard from Jim Olson is that the public trust law is more substantial than these newer laws and mm -hmm. should defeat them, but there's so much corporate collusion with governments. Right. That you cannot get them to even, uh, I don't, I'm trying to think of what the word is that, that Jim uses, that to, to establish the public trust as, you know, like as a statute. It's there in mm -hmm. the Constitution, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not, uh, doesn't have kind of statutory uh, power to it in, in some way and I, it, you know he understands all that stuff I don't understand the, the technicalities but there's a way that that public trust needs to be codified uh, so that they have to adhere to it uh, right now they, they somehow are able to get around it even mm. though it's in the Constitution that, yeah. that it's there so he's right. I mean, and that's that's kind of the next step is to try to figure out how to do that. How mm -hmm. to, how to get, meanwhile, of course, we have a very unfriendly legislature. They're not about to do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and an attorney general that's not willing to go after them yet, 
I mean, she's got other things on her plate, obviously. She's busy, busy, busy with, you know, mm -hmm. Line 5 and Flint and other things. But uh, this is something we're hoping that she will take on. But in yeah. the meantime, um, you know, in the meantime, we're forming coalitions all over the place and trying to magnify our uh, yeah. impact. Mm -hmm. So we have a coalition of frontline organizations across the country that are working on Nestle issue, particularly the, the sale, the recent sale of Nestle North America. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. So part of what has happened, even though we have laws that need to change, is that Michigan Citizens for Water Conservation and other groups have organized the public and, yeah. and educated the public, and so there's tremendous pressure that Nestle's feeling. Oh, yeah. And I've heard stories of Nestle leadership being confronted in Davos or at some corporate event in Florida, people saying, hey, yeah. you're stealing Michigan's water. Right. Well, not just Michigan, all right. over the world. It's all over the world. But, but we've got Michiganders kind of pollinated throughout the world, too. Yeah. So, so you're part of a coalition, a broad coalition, right. that's fighting Nestle. And similar to what happened with Monsanto under all this pressure, something has happened with the sale of Nestle. Right. I mean, Nest, you know, Nestle's... You know, it's a Swiss corporation, and they have a relationship with the Swiss government that is worth protecting from them. Okay. They get a lot of benefit out of that relationship. Um, so one of the things that happened is that, you know, the pressure that they're getting all over the world for their practices, their really outrageous practices in some places, uh, Africa in particular, is, is having an effect on their relationship with the Swiss government. They don't want to be, you know, looking bad either. So that's where it comes up in these international meetings. You know, Nestle mm. gets called on the carpet for the way they're behaving. You know, they yeah. go, they go to, a, they build a bottled water plant in, uh, in a rural area in Africa where there's no water. Mm. Uh, nobody has access to the water. They put a bottled water plant in there, and people are still walking you know, 40 miles a day to find water. And then they had the nerve to open up the tap for a day and tell people they could come and get free water. They didn't tell them it was only going to be for a day. So people walked from all over and came, and by that time the tap was closed. I mean, that's the kind of evil stuff they do. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, um, Gina Luster from Flint went to visit that site in, in Africa um, with some sponsorship from corporate accountability. And, I mean, her stories are just outrageous, you know, it just really is. So, so those kind of stories are coming from everywhere, Brazil, uh, France, uh, and, in, and in North America, we have Maine, Florida, Colorado, California, Michigan, hmm. and Ontario and British Columbia. Those are the places where Nestle has been uh, fighting, you know, to hang on to its permits and in various stages. I mean, there's different state laws, so it's, it plays out differently in different places. But we are all now uh, talking to each other in what's called the Troubled Waters Campaign, which is really helpful because there are some young people who know how to do research and um, they can do a lot of techie stuff that some of us old folks just don't do <laughs> very well. So that's been very useful, and we share information and um, mm. you know, get the word out. So what happened? So Nestle. Uh, they announced actually last fall, I think it was, that they were looking to sell their North American bottling operation. And so in March, I think it was, they actually completed the sale to two private equity firms, One Rock 
mm -hmm. um, LLC, I think it is, and Dean and Metropolis Incorporated. Um, now, those are two private equity funds with no experience or no interest in bottled water. Their only interest in, is, is in making money for their investors, and they, have, they play with all these financial instruments and tools that nobody knows anything about, siphon off profit wherever they can. But they, they take over troubled companies. Well, Nestle was starting to have some trouble with its bottled water operations, and they made it clear they wanted to get out of that and focus on their premier brands and their things, their more money-making kind of things. I mean, they, you know, one of the biggest food corporations in the world, so they have plenty of opportunity to make money. Mm -hmm. They didn't really need to be saddled with a company that was causing them grief. So, um, so these two companies, for $4.3 billion, they bought Nestle Waters North America. Just mm -hmm. the bottled water, you know, mm -hmm. thing. Um, and they will, they, they therefore now own the, the infrastructure, you know, the bottle plants and whatever else. And the permits, in most cases, are getting transferred. So, at least in Michigan. I don't know, it's not clear what's happening in some other places. They have different laws west of the Mississippi as far as water goes. Mm -hmm. So, um, there, there's a lot of differences in what's going on. But um, there was just a victory in California. Um, in the San Bernardino Valley, hmm. uh, where it was ruled finally by a judge, I think, that, that they couldn't take that water anymore. Hmm. They were operating on expired permits, and that those permits were not going to be renewed and they needed to stop. I mean, in the middle of a drought there, and yeah. wildfires, they've for years been operating on expired permits in San Bernardino. So that hmm. was a nice little piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are different issues in different places are, are at the forefront of it. You know, in Maine they're focusing on the plastic issue. Um, anyway, we're mm. just a, we're part of that. We're just one organization that's part of that coalition. But in the meantime, there's also a coalition of groups. That's a very informal uh, coalition group of of organizations here that want to do something about this dismissal. Because the contested case is still on, they just filed a piece of paper that said, oh, we changed our name, our brand name. No, mm -hmm. they changed ownership. So mm. there's a difference, and we'll make sure that that is clear. Mm -hmm. They didn't just change a brand name. They changed ownership. And that should mean that Eagle should do something to check them out mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> before they go ahead and you know, allow this permit to go, to be implemented. So it, uh, we're waiting to get the case scheduled by the judge in, in uh, Ingham County. That's, that's where we are. And in the meantime, we're researching what we can about this, this outfit. They're, they're rebranding it as Blue Triton. Now these, these uh, Metropolis took over Hostess, Twinkie operation, which was faltering, was going bankrupt. Uh, siphoned a whole bunch of money out of it and then flipped it in about three or four years. Mm. Uh, did the same thing with Pabst Blue Ribbon, hmm. and they, you know, they use junk bonds and and bad debt, and they wait till the bonds are coming due, and then they flip it quickly before they have to pay off the bonds. So they they're not even starting out with real money. You know, hmm. it's just, it's just sleazy, sleazy operations, but they're legal. Right. Yeah, they're legal. Yeah. Right. So we'll be we'll be spending some time to educate people about this as we gather information.
and we'll be watching what they do in Stanwood in, at the bottle plant there. Because Great. my guess is the people who work there are not going to be real happy with the cost-cutting things that are going to go on. Mm -hmm. And they think they're holding on to their good jobs. Those jobs may not last very long. Anyway, yeah, that's where we are, and, and we don't know what they'll do with whatever uh, agreements they've made with communities. You know, they're not mm -hmm. they're not going to pay any attention to promises that Nestle made mm -hmm. to local communities, right? So, and so you all are operating on donations. Totally. Yeah, we don't take government or corporate money. Uh, we have no paid staff. We have no office. We've always been an all-volunteer organization, which is becoming harder and harder to be. Mm -hmm. um, more and more organizations are actually depending on paid staff, and people are going to school and getting degrees and doing this kind of work. And so, of course, mm -hmm. they can expect to get paid when they get out of college mm -hmm. for what they're doing. And our, our organization is uh, fairly dependent on retirees who don't need an income. Mm -hmm. You know, people like me who are teachers and have mm. pensions and we're old and, you know, we just don't need money for anything, so. But mm. our organization does and it's, uh, mm -hmm. and it's strictly donations. Our, you know, our members still support us. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing uh, we got involved in was this potash mine in right. Percy. Too. Yeah, let's hear about that. Well, that's... And that's not that far away. No, well, that's achieved a dead end, pretty much. But, yes, okay. it's only eight miles from where Nestle's pumping, um, where this this uh, guy from Colorado with no experience whatsoever, having never mined anything at all, mm. which has finally come out publicly, and he's finally had to admit that he's never mined anything at all, uh, bought uh, a piece of property that... Had, had at one time been mined for potash, and there is a seam of potash there in that area that has been uh, mined in the past. That's a pretty good seam, but it's in, a, in the middle of a whole lot of wetlands, pristine wetlands. Very water, resource intensive, tons of water. They need 1,200 gallons a minute to feed these, uh, the, the process, the, the extraction process. And then they have 11, like 11 injection wells to put the brine back in the ground. Um, Bulk Hill Marsh is one of the wetland areas that's right next to this site. It's, it's the worst site you can imagine. It's not where the other mine was. It, the other mm -hmm. mine was at a, on a better site a few miles from there. Mm -hmm. uh, completely ridiculous site. There's trumpeter swans there. There are a couple of other endangered species. You know, it's a very pristine wetland. So that's where they want to put this factory. The problem is that this guy doesn't have enough investors. So he's been on a PR campaign for several years to promote the operation, to get the permits that he needs, quite a few of them, uh, and to get investors to put the money in. He doesn't mm -hmm. have them yet. Mm -hmm. We've been attempting to stop him at every by doing our own research and publishing information. We have uh, some some of our members who live there, who live at the site, mm. uh, have put together a lot of good information to highlight this travesty. So, but in the meantime, of course, the DEQ granted the permits, mm. and this comes under the Oil and Mineral Division. So there mm. are secrecy provisions that don't apply to drinking water. 
so there's some information we can't get. We're not allowed to have access to. Um, you know, when you're dealing with oil industry, you have to, you know, you have to assume that there's going to be all this stupid secrecy stuff. Mm. <coughs> so anyway, that's where we are. They, they the, um, we're waiting for a ruling. We we filed a contested case on that after they granted the permits uh, for these three wells, and um, we're waiting for the judge to rule. We don't expect much from it. It's the same judge that ruled, and that's the case, Judge Poulter. So um, the people there who are, you know, have been doing most of the work on this are, are still waiting to see how, what's going to happen with that. Okay. Meanwhile, there's no plant being built yet. They, okay. They've cleared some land. They cleared bulldoze a piece of land, but they haven't been able to start anything. Mm. I mean, it's just a horrible place for it. And there's no, there's no infrastructure to move the potash out of there. No trains or trucks or anything. Whereas Canadian potash is right on a rail line and as cheap as can be. Mm. There's no need for this. This is a money-making, an attempt by somebody to make money and, and do the same thing that these guys are doing with Nestle, flip it. As mm. soon as he gets his investors in place, he'll, he will bail out. Mm -hmm. yeah, so. yeah. Well, it's... <sighs> system it, sucks. It does, it does. It's, it really it's, does. it's sobering. <laughs> You know, but at the same time, what we're what what your organization has done is still harm reduction, even though we haven't changed the system. Right, and, and education. I mean, and education, you know, just, culture shift. They don't know, and and they need to know. And it's mm -hmm. it has been, you know, it's the same thing that people are doing with with line five. I mean, yep. how many years have we spent educating people about that? And we also are part of that coalition. Yeah. How many years have we spent educating mm -hmm. people about Line 5 who had no clue? I mean, I had no clue until fairly you know, recently that there were pipelines under the Straits of Mackinac. Who knew? Right. Who knew that somebody would be that dumb yeah. to put a pipeline under the Straits of Mackinac, you know, in the first place? But, and then that's the reaction that you kind of get, you know, like I was at the farmer's market this morning, mm -hmm. tabling, and, and with my, you know, no tunnel, no Line 5 sign up. How do they do that? Yeah. <laughs> so, so mm -hmm. that constant buildup of outrage and education is, in my mind, the, you know, the main thing that's going to move people to do something. Yep. I mean, look what it took to get Keystone shut down. Yeah. They're Ten not years. willingly going to do any of that, and there's and we still haven't gotten any headway in Minnesota on Line Three. So. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the big, the big picture, and we mm -hmm. we see our job as kind of connecting dots as much as possible. And we're just we're a small grassroots organization, but but we see where the, the the things the dots fit together and how really they're all tied in with the climate change yeah. efforts. So yeah, so that's our job is to is to educate, but we end up having to spend way too much time fundraising to pay off legal bills because it costs money to do legal stuff. I mean, it's just, when you see the, the boxes and boxes and the reams of paper that come into the courtroom, you think, oh, I'm glad I didn't have to do that. I'm glad somebody else did that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we have to pay them big bucks to do it, but I'm sure glad it wasn't me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, mm. anyway, that's where we are. We're paying off our bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so we have... 
we have some things in common, you know, this long-term work for clean water, mm -hmm. cultural work, but also music. Music is a big part of your life too. And I know that um, there's a relationship there between the intensity of the kind of work that we do, you know, in, with the environment, environmental justice, and then having music be there to sort of resource us. Well, yeah. Well, what keeps me going uh, personally is uh, the music of Carolyn McDade and mm. Friends, which is uh, it's choral music. Uh, I sing with two choruses. The Gaia Women of the Great Lakes Basin, which is based in Detroit and Windsor, half Canadian, half Usonian. Uh, and then the Singing Sisters up here that we formed when we moved up this way. But there are about 11 groups across the continent that sing this music. And mm -hmm. um, it's meditative music, it's environmental justice, it's social justice music. Uh, Carolyn started writing her, her music years ago uh, from the women's mo movement, from mm. uh, work with Central America uh, in, in Massachusetts. Uh, so it's social justice. Uh, geared toward that, it's geared toward environmental appreciation, and we've worked on a couple of CDs. Uh, oh Beautiful Gaia was the first one that I was helped work, you know, work with, and then we did one based on the, on the words of the Earth Charter. So mm. we spent a whole year immersing ourselves in the Earth Charter, and then we wow. came together, uh, groups from, people from all the different groups came together and recorded that music. Uh, it's called My Heart Is Moved. And then we just did, um, the last one we, the last one we probably will do. I mean, Carolyn is aging out, and so are the rest of us. Um, it's called widening, widening embrace, and it's really about what, what do we want our legacy to be. So, mm. so this is music that has a deep, you know, a deep meaning to it. It's not frivolous in any way, um, and it and it keeps us going. You know, we mm. sing together, we get together, you know, once a month and spend the day uh, singing. We've participated in some of the writing of some of the music, but mostly it's geared to Carolyn's, uh, Carolyn's wisdom. So it's, it, and, and we've done a couple, we've done several, numerous fundraising. We don't mm -hmm. uh, take any money for anything. I mean, we do sell the CDs, but the money all goes to, after production is paid for, it goes to various good causes. So, awesome. So, uh, you know, we've, I've, we've put on a couple of con fundraising concerts. That we, we did one for my 75th birthday five years ago. Awesome. At St. Andrew's Church in, in, uh, in Beulah. That was a fun, that was a fun one. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I told them, what's what I want for my birthday? I want, I want Singing Sisters and the Gaia Women to do a, a concert. So Beautiful. So about 45 of them came and... Wow put on a nice concert. So that music makes, it's, it's important to me. I mean, mm -hmm. I know CDs don't, people don't look, read, use CDs much anymore, but I sure do, and I make sure that if I get a car, it has a CD player still in it. All right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, because I travel around, I like to be on the road, but when I'm on the road, I like to be singing in my car. <laughs> mm -hmm. Me too. So, yeah, the, the, the art and the music. And then there's this other project that, uh, called All, All Beings Confluence that kind of match, came in with the music, with the last uh, CD, and, and these are these art panels. Um, they're about eight feet long, uh, <coughs> where a particular being, a plant or an animal, is, is represented. Uh, 
mm. in, in uh, paint. They're, they're beautiful. And we mm. have, uh, across the continent, I think now we have about 300 of them made. Wow. And we keep, we have uh, the Great Lakes Basin pod, as we call it here. It's actually at my house. And, you know, they, they hang in places and people, we've used, we've used them at the Bioneers Conference in, mm. in Detroit a couple of times. So. So that's an art project that kind of goes with the music, but it's, mm -hmm. it's a way of immersing people in love of the natural world. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we call some of our music love songs to the earth. So. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Maybe we could trade CDs yes, after the should, interview. Yes, we should, we should, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got, I got some in my car. Me I too. I always Great. carry them. I probably Good. have some of yours. I have yours at home. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You know, I think music is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it lifts the spirits, mm -hmm. soothes the soul. And sometimes it, it you can use it to educate people, you right. know, raise awareness. Like Yeah, well, we've had to cancel everything the last year and a half, so right. none of that's been going on. So mm -hmm. It kind of, kind of cramps our style a little bit. We're getting back out there. Good, good. Yeah. So just in closing, Peggy, uh, any calls to action you want to lift up or websites you'd like to name for our listeners? Well, our website is savemiwater.org. Uh, we're in the process of probably uh, changing it and revising and getting a new website uh, thanks to a grant from Freshwater Future. But in the meantime, that's, that's our website um, mm -hmm. where, where we have newsletters. We, we do uh, occasionally call people to action. We have a, an action alert kind of system so people can sign up for that. Um, but we're really looking for volunteers. Mm -hmm. More than anything, we need particularly some young people who have some time that they're willing to devote to the organization. We have a list. It's in the latest newsletter, which is on the homepage of the website. Volunteer uh, mm -hmm. list it, that tells specifically what we need help doing. We, we just need more human resources. Oh, now, great. So I'm, I'm looking for young people, and which is hard sure. because young people need to earn a living and we don't pay anything. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, hopefully people will consider if, you, you know, if they have a passion for water. And That's a powerful way for young people to get involved with the, right. the movement. You know? yeah. I mean, I know that that's how I got started. So many of my colleagues, we started out volunteering and you meet all these amazing people mm -hmm. who care. Yeah. And you start to get to know people who are who are doing meaningful things, and you know one thing leads to another, and yeah. you're on your path. You know, right. so that's a that's a really amazing opportunity for young people to volunteer for Michigan Citizens yeah, for Water we, Conservation. Yeah, we got hit pretty hard by COVID. Some of our mm. leadership got got COVID and mm. is still recovering from from some of it. I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, we need we just sort of need to get back to work, and we need the help of as many people as, you know, just have a little time to to focus on particular parts. But if they go to the website and look at that volunteer Great. team uh, development article, it, it lists specific tasks and it gives my phone number. <laughs> call me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, call me if you want to do something. I have no problem finding work for anybody. Amazing. Yeah. Free mentorship. Free mentorship. Yeah. Let me, let me retire someday. You deserve it. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. More singing, less stress. Yeah, more garden work. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a homestead to maintain myself, you know. Yeah. I have a 
sort of pseudo farm. Mm. With bees. Bees and chickens and lots of gardens and yeah, mm. lots of trees. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you do and have well, done. And you too. Yeah. Thank you. So sometime we're going to have to do a concert together. I would love to. Singing I know we've sisters, talked about it over yeah, the years. Singing sisters and you and do a, do a little thing, a little gig. Let's do it. Let's we, do it. We've said it. People heard it. I know. We we're saying do it, it now. publicly now. Right? Yeah. Last time we said it was, I think it was at the small farm conference mm -hmm. two years ago or something. Yeah. It's yeah. been a bonkers couple years since right, then. Right, it, it has. But we're still here. We are. Well, yeah. thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Peggy. State of Water is powered by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, this campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment.